Hey guys, welcome to Ask the Podcast. Super glad you stopped by. Our team is made up of professional therapists and amateurs. Since we don't know your personal situation, we might get it wrong sometimes, but we will always give you the best advice we can with the information we have. We love getting your questions, so keep them coming. And this is a discussion format, so sometimes we curse, and sometimes we talk or laugh over each other. We want y'all to feel like part of our team. Remember, if you need emergency help, please call 911 or the suicide hotline, the number of which is on our website, www.askthepodcast.com. Okay. Hey, parents. Welcome to Ask the Podcast. Today, Sid and I are following up on our last episode where we talked about anger. We ran out of time. We talked about anger with teens that just seem angry all the time or just grouchy or moody. Today, what we're going to talk about is anger that comes from when one of your, when your child has been harmed in some way, whether it's from being bullied um, or if it's from being somehow assaulted or, or hurt in some way by somebody else, violated in some way. And how do you deal with that? How do you handle that anger and help them understand where that anger or that emotion is coming from and what they're really feeling underneath it and how to use it productively to heal from whatever happened to them? So, Sid... First thoughts. Yes. You know, I love to throw you under the bus right off the bat. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for that. <laughs> my pleasure. Well, I don't know. I mean, my first thought about this is um, some of it has to do with perception, right? It, it And a lot of the, the pain and anger that we feel around being slighted. And I, and uh, by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm creating a difference between actually like being assaulted and being offended, right? That's, that's what I, that's what I'm meaning by this. There, some of it has to do with how you think about it, because there is a difference between being offended by, for example, you know, an opinion that someone has or um, an action that they take that is not specifically directed to you, right? Um, or even if it is specifically directed towards you, like if they disagree with you or something like that, um, there's a difference between that and, and being actually assaulted, you know, right. if someone is specifically physically assaulting you, sexually assaulting you, um, bullying you in a very specific way, because sometimes the, the disagreement that I get into with uh, um, some of my teens that I talk to is that they feel as though if people don't support their opinions or people don't agree with them, that it feels like bullying. Yes. And we're going to do an episode on bullying. And I know what you mean. Where I'm coming from for this episode is more along the lines of if your teen has been date raped, if your teen has been like beaten up by bullies at school, if your teen has been just mercilessly hunted down on social media by, by bullies, you know, things like that, suffering, you know, even, even something like being, you know, like maybe they have some sort of internet situation where, you know, a pedophile has, maybe they haven't been physically harmed, but maybe a pedophile has interacted with them and they've discovered it was a pedophile, right? And they're going through that, you know, something, anything like that, where they're having all this emotion this confusing, conflicting emotion about how they feel about what has happened. And 
you know, how do you help them dig through that? Because once again, with the anger iceberg, and I do have the worksheet, I, I started to put it up on the website today, and then I ran out of time. Yeah, I made a, a worksheet. It's really pretty. <laughs> but, um, you know, if you didn't listen to our previous episode, this one, um, I'll go ahead and just briefly cover the anger iceberg. At the top, you know, with an iceberg, you see a tiny bit above the water, and then there's a huge chunk of ice underneath. There's a huge thing under the water that you don't see. So anger is the tip of the iceberg that everybody can see. That's what our emotions manifest as, you know, everybody sees the anger, but what's underneath it. And so a lot of times kids that have had these, these harms done to them will manifest as angry. They'll seem like they're very angry. They may strike out, you know, verbally at people in the family, you know, whatever they may be reactive and maybe they'll just be super sulky and they just pull into themselves and and you can't reach them. And, you know, that's scary for a parent because especially when you know your child has suffered something at the hands of somebody else, you want to be able to help them get through it in a healthy way. Absolutely. So that's where I'm coming from on this episode. This one is more about how do you help your kid when they have been seriously harmed by somebody else? Yeah, sorry. I was just defining differences. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, definitely. We're going to do an episode on bullying soon because I think that's really important too because understanding the difference between bullying and just not liking what somebody else says It's a really important distinction and we need to have that conversation with the teens as well as parents. So my whole thing about perception actually does kind of apply to that too, because Mm -hmm. I think as parents, it's important to, to um, make sure that the messages you send around the, the teen's experience, Mm -hmm. your perception of the teen's experience is very important. Yes. Um, on the one hand, you don't want to be dismissive because then it makes them feel as though their emotions are not understood or somehow not valid. Right. But you also do not want to give your child the message that they are somehow permanently damaged or broken, or this is a defining event in their life. Exactly. I cannot tell you how many parents have said to me, he broke her or somebody broke my child. It's like, oh my God, please don't ever say those words to your kid. Please don't, because your child is not broken. Your child is still whole. And I know your knee-jerk reaction is probably to run up and just wrap yourself around your child and just be like, oh, baby, you know, you've been victimized. But the more you push, and, and, and I totally agree with you, there's this happy balance between, we don't want to get into the toxic positivity where you're like, oh, you're fine. Suck it up, walk it off. You got this. They didn't do anything to you. Um, so acknowledging the fact that, yeah, oh my God, this sucks. I am so sorry this happened to you. This never should have happened to you. And, you know, it, you, I know that you must feel terrible, you know, what, or actually don't say that. I'm sorry. <laughs> don't say you must feel terrible because, you know, it's like, you don't know what they feel. And, you know, it's like, why don't you tell me what, you know, talk to me about how you're feeling when you feel up to it. When you want to talk to me, I'm here to listen to you. Because actually one of the interesting going down that line about why you shouldn't say, I know you must feel terrible. And there's nothing wrong with saying that as parents, as therapists, we have to be more careful about saying that because that's us putting our opinions about how they're feeling. Um, If your child has in some way, shape or form been sexually harmed, whether it's physically in person or it was, 
you know, no contact, physical contact, but just like verbally or even just, you know, texting or something like that with an inappropriate person, your child may have been turned on by that. They may have been attracted to the person before they knew who was actually behind the voice or the words. And they may be feeling incredibly confused by the fact that they actually were interested in the person before they realized who it was. And that causes some really confusing emotions, right? So allowing them, letting them know that whatever they're feeling is normal um, is really important. Letting them know that their feelings, like Sydney said, are valid, super important. And trying to stay calm. I remember when we moved to Germany, the elementary school principal told me that moms have the deciding factor. They're the the deciding factor on whether the family is successful in an international move or not. Really? Yes. And it made perfect sense to me. I mean, intuitively, I already knew that. And I was so glad she said that. And I was glad she was saying that to all these families. Because when you think about it, a lot of the families that were, were expats, most of them were the father figure who was the primary breadwinner and the mom was the tag along spouse, so to speak. That's how it was in our situation. And, you know, so you're, you're going to another country and you're kind of like, you know, whatever, but it's absolutely true. I mean, my having a positive mentality about this move, even though it was huge, made all the difference in the world about how my family handled this huge move. And it's the same thing with a situation like this. If your child has been victimized, how you handle it is going to tell your child what they should be feeling. So if you get very upset and hysterical and talk about victimization and stuff like that, then that's the message your child is going to absorb. And they're going to feel like I am a victim. I can never survive this. I can't get over this. And that's the opposite of what we want for our kids. We want our kids to know that what happened to them was wrong, but they are strong and they are resilient and they can get through this. And in finding things that they did that were powerful, like whether it was shutting down the situation before they even knew that it was a bad guy, you know, or whatever, anything, calling for help, trying to get away, anything, all of those are valid, telling an adult about it. All those things are really valid, strong things. So try and find a positive strength that you can point out that your child did. Okay. That's what I was going to say is that even, even to find, even if you feel as though your child did not handle the situation the way that you would have liked them to Mm -hmm. find something positive that they did. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, And another thing to remember once again, about like some online stuff, because this stuff happens every single day to hundreds of thousands of millions of children, right? If they feel attracted to a pedophile, if they feel attracted to somebody who does not have their best interests at heart, that's still natural and it's perfectly normal because that's exactly what those people want them to feel. They're feeling- By attracted, you mean drawn to or interested in, even just intellectually. Yeah, or- or romantically, you know, I mean, cause it can happen because if you've got, if you have somebody who's pertaining to be, if you have 
a 60 year old man pretending to be a teenage boy, right? You know, with, with some middle school kids or something like that, you know, they might be attracted to him. He is putting out exactly what he wants. He is manipulating the child to feel what he wants the child to feel. You know? Right. I just wanted to make sure I, uh, that I understood what you meant by attracted to, because it, it, I, I often have to remind um, folks that it's a sales pitch. You yes. know, like if you get drawn in by somebody who doesn't have your best interest at heart or somebody who's trying to manipulate you. Yeah, you fell for you fell for the sales pitch. People do that all the time. It happens all the time. Exactly. That, and that's what it is. It's a that's sales pitch. such a good analogy. I love that or comparison, whatever I it's, that's really good because yeah, I mean, it just, that's their goal. Their goal is to sucker your kid in and they're going to manipulate them any way they can to get what they want. And so it's important for your child to know that what they felt was okay because it was what was intended. So another way to take it is to point out to your child, the fact that no matter how much you wish this had never happened to them, this situation has taught, they've, they've learned from it. They now have a better understanding of how to protect themselves in the future. Exactly. And yeah. So that's another positive lesson that can come from it. I think, you know, the more you can turn this into a learning experience while supporting them emotionally, while helping them through it, the better. So let's talk about the anger side of it, because um, now that we're right past the beginning <laughs> you know, of yeah. the trauma, you know, they'll have emotion for a while to deal with. And so how do you how do you deal with that? What do you think? How do you deal with it? Well, first of all, patience. Yeah. On both party sides. Absolutely. The fact that they're angry is is actually normal and good. Yes. They should be angry yes, because that helps motivate them to try and, and work through it, process it, um, you know, keep it in their, in their mind in a healthy way so that they can be aware of how it's all working itself out in their emotions. It's a normal stage of, of grief. Yes. And I know a lot of people don't often think about um, grief in terms of assault or in terms of mistreatment, but there is kind of a grief process because part of what makes you angry is that your perception of how the interaction was supposed to go has died. Your perception of how you should be treated, how other people should behave in the world, it ha that has died. And so you can grieve the loss of that. Yeah. And so being angry about that and, and actually being angry about it shows that your child has some positive sense of self how dare they do this to me? That's not fair. I love that. That's really good. That's an excellent point. Yeah. And self-respect is so important. And we should do an episode on self-respect too. There we go. Yeah. I think some of the things we talked about in the previous episode in terms of ways to get the anger out, um, I, you know, talk to the kids about what's under the anger. Talk to them about, you know, what do you really think you're feeling? And, you know, you can even show them the worksheet and let them circle some of the emotions that we have on that worksheet. On the anger iceberg worksheet? Yeah, on the anger, thank you, on the anger iceberg, because it, it'll help them. They can look at the words and go, yes, I'm feeling that. And it'll just help them define what's going on 
better than trying to think about and just saying, well, what, what are you feeling? You know, what's really going on? It's like, they probably don't know, you know, they're confused. And And the default answer is often, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I love teens. They're so cute. You know, some things they can do, we talked about in the previous episode, and you can listen to the previous episode. I don't want to go into a lot of detail on this because we went through it pretty detailed on the last episode. You know, throwing ice at trees, going for a run, although we don't want them to get to a place where they start having body image stuff going on and they're over-exercising, but just um, baking a cake, going for a walk with you. One way that we talked about in the previous episode is you know, that can be really useful for parents. Cause a lot of times your kids just don't want to talk to you. Just say, Hey, let's go for a walk or, Hey, I'm going to go pick something up at the grocery store. Let's drive, you know, or even just let's drive. Let's just drive around, listen to some music. We don't have to talk. We don't have to do anything. And then if your child wants to talk, they can talk, but having that, it, it makes a huge difference. A lot of times having with both people looking straight forward and not at each other, makes it less intimidating for kids to talk about what's going on in their world. So interestingly enough, I remember learning in grad school, they did a study where, um, and the short version, because I want to take up too much time doing it, young boys, young girls, between the ages of like 10 and 13, they would hand uh, two girls folding chairs and tell them to go into an empty room. and, And the instruction was talk to each other. So the girls would sit knee to knee facing each other and talk to each other because you could put the chairs any way that you wanted. The whole idea was, well, how were they going to do that? Exactly. When they gave the very same instructions to two boys, they would sit hip to hip. Yeah. Like, like they're in a car. Yep. And all of a sudden it occurred to me that all as in grad school, all of my internships, all the times that I had ever had really good conversations with um, young men, it was always in a situation like in the car or sitting on a park bench or something where you're not facing each other. Yeah. Young women tended to want to look at you. And that's not, I mean, sometimes that that is not entirely accurate, but this study, which of course at this point is now 30 years old, yeah. um, w- they, they wanted to connect on that way and, and young men did not. Yeah. So especially if you have a boy, it may be really helpful to do something like go for a walk or go for a drive. Yes. Yeah. I use this with couples that I work with. I'm like, you know, cause men and women so different, you know, we are just, our brains are wired. They're finding more and more evidence of that every single year. Typically men like to look for it. So some of the best conversation positions for men and women woman facing man, man facing away, facing like, so so they're perpendicular to each other. They make like a 90 degree angle. Um, It's a very interesting thing, but it works. So, okay. Uh, Yeah. And then just another thing they can draw a picture and just, or write a letter, tear it up, rip it up you know, to the, to the aggressor, you know, letting them know everything, just putting everything on paper and then just destroy the letter as violently as they can. You know, um, Sydney suggested uh, ripping up cardboard um, is really good because uh, it's, it requires a lot of energy to do that. Um, like, like cereal box cardboard, corrugated yes. cardboard is harder to rip. I was going to say that would be very difficult because <laughs> I, I try and do that sometimes to like break it down for recycling. Um, grab that or something. Yeah, no, cereal boxes are good. And it's not going to kill your cereal just to sit in the uh, bag on the shelf. You're okay. (laughs) 
Well, and there's sometimes the cereal boxes go into the recycling, so they're already headed. That's right. Oh yeah, it's it's not bad for the planet. True. I you know I think the best you can do is just be there for your kid when they're ready to talk. Listen, they're going to be multiple different times they're going to want to talk. They may want to talk immediately right after and just be like, oh my god, I'm so scared. It'll be different types of talking too. Other time, you know, when as they go through the different stages of grief and those stages don't go in order, you know, they're not like they will do this, then this, then this, they can go through one and then circle back through it again. They may get angry multiple times. So there may be times they just want to rant and scream. Uh, you can ask them, what do you need from me? What do you, what do you want? Because we can't read anybody else's mind. And so, and, and honestly, the answer may be, I don't know. And if that's the answer, then you say to them, okay, I'm going to stay here and I'm going to do this. And if you figure out what you want, as you figure out what you want, tell me what you want me to do. Do you want me to hold you? Do you want me to leave the room? Do you want me to sit here and listen to you while you scream? Do you want me to talk to you? You know, just whatever. That, that's perfect, actually, because even though the answer may be, I don't know, just the fact that you said, what do you need? I'm here. If you need anything, you just let me know. Yeah. And tell me as you figure it out. Right. And, and also you can say, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm going to do my best to guess and help you. And if I get it wrong, I'm sorry. Yes. But, exactly. but I, you know, if I think that you need a hug and you don't want me to touch you, just tell me. Yeah. And yeah. And another thing is, you know, it's okay to say the wrong thing because you don't know. And you can say to them, I've never been in this situation either. I don't know what to do either. And so let's work through this together. We'll, we'll figure it out together step-by-step. Oh, so anyhow, I hope none of your kids have been hurt, but if they have, I'm so sorry. And this is the best advice we can give you for how to take care of them. Um, okay. So send us questions, DM us on Instagram, and we will, <laughs> Sydney and I are both getting kind of choked up here. <laughs> um, Cause we care, we care about you and your kids. We want you guys, some, we want your kids to be safe. So anyhow, okay. Um, we will see you next time. Thanks for joining us today. Remember to send us your questions on Instagram handle at ask the podcast or by email ask at askthepodcast.com. We're trying to figure this whole thing out too.